If you would please turn with me to the book of Proverbs once again. The book of Proverbs. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5 again. We began... um, a very short series on this passage a few weeks ago, and we're returning to it this evening. So we're going to read verses 1 through 5. Verses 1 through 5 of Proverbs chapter 2. If you would stand with me again after our season of prayer. We are hearing from wise Solomon, who was simply the mouth for the Holy Spirit, and he speaks to us wisdom. We have a beautiful picture here of a father teaching his son the wisdom of God's Word. May we learn, if nothing else, the beauty of that picture, and that that should be the very atmosphere, the very uh, culture of our homes. Parents teaching their children God's wisdom. So, chapter 2, verse 1. This is God's word of wisdom. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, So that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of of God. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Our Father, our blessed Father in heaven, thou dost delight to teach us thy wisdom. And we know that thy wisdom is most gloriously manifested in Christ thy holy Son. Now teach us simple truths Profound truths, but teach us what we need to know from this passage. And may Christ, may his glorious Father, and may the blessed Son, uh, blessed Spirit, be exalted. And I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. amen. Please be seated. The Word of God and the books of history reveal that this world is spiritually and physically dangerous. Wise Christian parents know this. 
And they prepare their children for that world by teaching them to seek wisdom, God's wisdom. That wisdom is found in God's creation. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Proverbs 6, 6. It is found in God's word. Every word of God is pure and he's a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Chapter 30, verse 5. Wisdom is in God's believing and faithful people. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. Proverbs 13, 20. It is in God's Son who hath established all the ends of the earth. What is his name? And what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? Now, in the Old Testament, Israel was God's son. <clears throat> and so was every Davidic king. But in the New Testament, we learned that the great fulfillment of these types is God's son, Jesus Christ. He is God's Son, not only the creator of all things, but the sustainer. And in Him, in Christ, is hidden all the treasures of wisdom. You cannot be wise and ignorant of Christ. Finally, we find throughout the Proverbs that wisdom is in godly parents. That adjective, godly, is essential. It isn't just parents, though even lost parents can be wise in a worldly sense. They may understand some things about the way the world goes around, and they are able from time to time to impart certain truths, often that they, not, they are not aware of themselves, that are in harmony with the Word of God. They can teach. My lost father taught me a few things that, as I mentioned previously, are still with me. But there is all the difference in heaven and hell between worldly wisdom and the wisdom that comes from above, especially the wisdom that God has manifest in Christ and the gospel. So, <clears throat> fathers and mothers are God's first representatives of God in their homes. They're the first interface every child born in this world to believing parents will have. They are in the stead, they are in the place uh, of God. I don't mean they're taking God's place. What I'm saying is that they are his representatives. They are to be his mouthpieces. That's exactly what we see in the text. My son, listen to me. My son, 
Hear what I'm telling you. Listen to just these quick verses from Proverbs. And Proverbs are filled with these kinds of utterances from God. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. Now, we're not just talking about fathers and mothers in general. We are talking about those who know the living God and who are determined to bring their children up for God. They understand that those are God's children. God gave those human beings life, and every father, every mother has the extreme privilege to bring up a soul for God. And why Solomon tells his son, listen to your father. That doesn't, it's not telling him about how to go fishing. That's all fine. You want to go fishing. But what I'm saying is that what is clear throughout this, this entire book, is spiritual wisdom for living in this world. Fathers ought to know it themselves, and then by grace, out of love for God and love for those immortal souls God has given him, he instructs them, and so does mom. My son, keep thy father's commandment. Now, there are times when we make suggestions to our sons and our daughters. There are times when we make recommendations to them. But there are times to commend them. There are many Christians in our day that are, are, are so detached from what the, the scriptures actually teach that they feel bad commending. They're commanded by God to command. All of us are. All of us parents have a responsibility to command our children because we are, I repeat, God's representatives. We aren't God. We fail miserably. None of us can sit down and be a portrait of the living God. But we can sure image his truths in our lives before our children. We can do that. Failed as we are sometimes, we can tell them the truth and by the grace of God live in that truth. Listen again. Proverbs 23, 22. Hearken unto thy father that begat thee. You're in this world because of my union with your mother. You are here. God has given you into my home. I therefore have a responsibility to you. I have a responsibility to God. And you have a commandment from God. Honor thy father and thy mother. One of the ways we do that is obeying them. Obeying their commands when those commands are in harmony with God's commands. Proverbs 
Despise not thy mother when she is old. She has given years, decades of her life for you. Love her as age begins to rob her strength. Love her as her body grows weary. Sometimes her mind begins to fade. Love her. She has commanded you. A faithful mother has loved you, cared for you, brought you up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so many things the list would be enormous. You have a father and you have a mother. In our day of divorce, it's astounding how, how many people I've met that didn't know their fathers, didn't know their mothers, didn't even know who they were sometimes. Hear thou, my son, Proverbs 23, 19. Hear thou, my son, and be wise. This is the whole point. Parents that have their heads on right, or better to say, that have their hearts in the right place, want their children to be wise. We all know children don't come into the world wise. <clears throat> they don't usually come into the world cautious, prudent, careful. They need to be taught. There are some a little sharper than others sometimes. All of our children are very different. But the fact is we want them to be wise. We want to see them walking according to what God has made them to be. We want them to use the brain that God has given them to look at the world, evaluate it through the spectacles of God's word, and then by love for God, walk in it. Every father here, every mother here has the responsibility to bring up those little ones for that very purpose. <clears throat> so, in part one of this message, we used Fee and Stewart's definition, quote, wisdom is the God-given skill of navigating life according to God's will. And I don't mind changing their definition to say, and it's in harmony with what they're saying, wisdom is the God-given skill of navigating life according to God's word. <clears throat> we find God's will in God's word. So we also learned that wisdom does not come easily. It's not something that just falls on us, generally speaking. Solomon had it for one reason. He pleaded with God for it. He pleaded, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able, who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? That was wisdom in itself. <clears throat> When you realize you're not wise and you plead with God for wisdom, you're making a step in the right direction of wisdom. So, 
this wisdom is a gift of God's grace, but we must use it. We must seek it. That is one of the things that Scripture tells us plainly to go on the search for. That should tell us what our natural state is. <laughs> We're not wise. This is a gift, as I said, of God's grace, of mercy, of love, but it requires intense prayers. Intense prayers. Study. Got to study. I once read, this is not a, a direct quote, I'm just making a reference. I once read that uh, one of the reasons George Washington was the leader that he was is whenever he sat with men and discussed things and he heard wise things coming from their mouths, he wrote them down, he kept them. He constantly kept wisdom when he heard it. Well, we have a whole book from Genesis to Revelation. We don't have to write it down. We have it written down. We should be plundering the treasures, the gold, the silver, the, the, the wonderful <laughs> emeralds, diamonds, rubies, sapphires of God's wisdom. It's given to us. We need to take it. We need to draw it down into our hearts by prayer. We need to think about it. We need to study. We need to compare Scripture with Scripture. Then we need to think. We need to think. God does not want us to be simply an emoting people. Said that many times and will continue to because many of us, even here, continue just to emote. You don't think. You just jump into the gear of how you feel. That is unbiblical. Emotions are not bad, but they're a part of our fallen makeup. And what feels right to you sometimes may be completely wrong. It might even be a good thing in another context, but the wrong thing in the context you're in. It takes wisdom. It takes perception, insight to understand that. We have that set before us in the Word of God. We have to come as children and be taught by the Spirit. Prayer, study, thinking, meditating about these things, mentally devouring and chewing them up. Arthur Pink would say we need to masticate the truths of God's Word. Chew them up in our heart and our mind and our souls. It's good for us. It is in the greatest sense soul food. Not only prayer, study, thinking, experience is next. We have to have experience. You've got to live. Life is not theoretical. It is a stark and astounding reality. The evil of men is clear and all around us. Our own weakness stares us in the face every morning in the mirror. We get these dreamlike ideas about how we want life to be, and then we run into reality. We find out perhaps that we're weaker in some areas than we thought. On the other hand, sometimes we discover that we have graces and strengths that we did not realize, and we begin to use them. But the point is, you have to live. You can't just sit in your living room and read good books. 
That does sound like a great idea to me. But it doesn't get you very far. It may give you a very swollen head. You have to live with people. People that don't like you. You have to live with people that don't understand you. You have to live with people that you don't understand. Why do they do that? Reality, even among God's people, can sometimes be shocking. So, we've got to have experience. <clears throat> we have to have good experiences, and we need to remember our bad experiences, not to traumatize ourselves, but to learn from them. Oh, I can sin this way. I need the grace of God to help me overcome this. Maybe it's your mouth. Maybe it's what you listen to. Maybe it's what you watch. Maybe it's what you wear. Maybe it's the way you treat people. Maybe it's your tone of voice. Maybe it's the, the way you make particular faces. <laughs> Most of us are not looking at our faces when we're talking to someone. We don't always know what we look like to them. Life is complex because of sin. And even when we think we're doing right, as I said a moment ago, we can do something that ends up being wrong. Our purpose was right. The thing itself was right. But in the context we were in, it was wrong. Those are shocking moments. So, we finally considered conditional sentences in our last message, our, our part one. Uh, we had two parts in a conditional sentence. The condition, if, and the consequence, then. I repeat as I said, then. If then sentences, conditional sentences, are an absolute part of wisdom. Your life is made up of if-then. If you make this decision, then this is likely the outcome. If you marry this person and not that person, if you take this job and not that job, if you buy this vehicle and not that vehicle, you can find out sometimes you made terrible decisions and you need to learn from them. Very often, I know that in my younger days, when I made bad decisions, I just wanted to get as far from them as I could. Instead of saying, I need to learn everything I can about what I just did and do what I could put up as many good fences as I can not to do that again. And then when you do it the next time, you say, okay, I need to get better at this. All right. You have to, there is consequence to every decision that you make. Every decision has a consequence. <clears throat> Sometimes there are consequences that bear such wonderful fruit. And other times it's bitter fruit. I thank the Lord that we have pardon and forgiveness in Christ. Amen. Because our decisions are part of loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Do you think that way? Your decisions are a part of your worship of the living God.
That means we have to evaluate. We have to know what's right and what's wrong and how to navigate them in the situation we're in. As I've said numerous times in our staff prayer meetings, the Christian life is a skill. It is an art. It's not just a pile of do's and don'ts that we sort through and do in a mechanical way. It's learning how to walk in this life with all of its dangers, with all of its joys, with all of its sorrows. It's learning how to think, evaluate, and walk in what brings glory to God and good to others. Now, often we're just in that feeling mode and we just go with the gut. That's what the world tells you to do. Sometimes the gut is lying to you. How would you know? You've got to go to the word of God. You've got to have truth. You've got to have... If I, the only way I can say it is you have to pray that the Lord will stamp his truths in your heart, brand you like his cattle, take his truths and burn them into your soul so that they become part of the spectacles through which you see this world. Now, we're, we're getting really, really close to this issue of wisdom and why it's so important. <clears throat> the passage that we have looked at is that the godly and wise father is teaching his son with three conditions. And here's something that every father can learn from. It's right here. I mean, if, if you want to put it this simply, it's almost like we've been invited into the palace for family worship. We're in with Solomon and his son. Sometimes it's plural, sons. Sometimes it's children. It certainly includes his daughters. But he's the wise father teaching, teaching wisdom to his children. In this context, it says, my son. And then he gives them, as we looked at last time, three conditional sentences. If, 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 <clears throat> if thou receivest my words, if thou criest after knowledge, and if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her, and the her here is wisdom, searchest for her as a hid treasure, then, we finally get to the then, if, 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 then. But the three ifs are vital for us to understand how difficult and how challenging it is to go after wisdom. It says, seek her as silver, precious metal. Search as for hid treasures. <clears throat> When it was rumored that there was gold out in California, the people in the east of our country in those earlier days of our nation flooded out in that direction. Everybody wanted to find that gold. Everybody wanted to be a millionaire. Everybody wanted to be a rich man. And they went through unbelievable 
troubles, trials, challenges, very often death, from sickness or from enemies, just to get to that gold. Well, we're being told there's something more important than gold, something more important than silver, than all of the jewels of uh, uh, the wealth to be found in this world. I mean, if you were to consider, if you were to put all of these things together and say, here's all the world's riches, they do not compare to the word of God. If you don't believe that, you're deceived. Because of all, all this stuff is going to burn. The word of God is lasting forever. And it's wisdom to know that and believe that, to walk in it. His word is forever. He's exalted his word above all his name. Again, this father loves his son. How do we know that? He teaches him wisdom. He's saying, son, listen, I've had to navigate life and I've learned some things along the way. God has been merciful to me. He's given me great wisdom and knowledge. But you need to have it too. And every one of us here needs to have it. You can't just say, oh, well, I believed in Jesus. I'm going to heaven. And now I will just bounce off of life until he takes me into heaven. Here's the walls of providence. Boom, 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 boom. Fell on my face here. Uh, I did a little better over there. No, we need to learn how to navigate those things because some of the pitfalls are, are deadly, dangerous destructive to us physically sometimes destructive to us spiritually sometimes both we need to be wise so if thou receive if thou criest after knowledge and if thou seekest her then you shall understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God that is actually where we left off. <laughs> Our message is entitled, Godly Parental Wisdom Delivers from Evil. There's a goal to this instruction, and it's delivering your children, to the best of your ability, from evil. And your children need to believe that. When once the powers of darkness or their own sinful flesh make them not to trust you. They're heading for very sad times. If you're a faithful parent. No perfect ones. But there are faithful ones. So. May our heavenly father truly help us in this. <clears throat> now the father. As I have said. Has given his son three conditional sentences. And now he gives his dearly loved son the consequence. If, 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 then. And he says, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord. He doesn't say, then you will be healthy, wealthy. It says, you will understand the fear of the Lord. Now let's be honest. In our day, talking about the fear of the Lord is not popular among professing Christians. 
In fact, many of them have this really wrong idea. Well, the Old Testament is about that angry God, but the New Testament is about that loving God. It's the same God in both Testaments. Always and ever. Why was he so angry in the Old Testament? Because his people, whom he redeemed from Egypt, lived in constant rebellion against his wisdom, against his laws. Well, it was the law's problem, and we don't live under the law. No, Paul corrects that thinking. He said, no, the, the law is holy and just and good. The problem is our flesh, not the law. It's just our flesh can't handle God's righteousness and won't handle it in its own strength. Well, so how do we understand the fear of the Lord then? It, 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 it isn't like Old Testament versus New Testament here. Now, there were huge differences between the Old Testament and the New that's not our subject. The issue is the fear of the Lord. And he says, now, if you understand the three ifs I've given you, then there's a consequence. There's a result. You'll understand the fear of the Lord. How many of us would sign on for that? I want to go through really great difficulties, challenges, and trials so that I can understand how to fear God. Wait a minute. How about, let's talk about heaven, <laughs> right? Who wants to sign up for this? Every thinking believer Amen. should sign up for this. You'll understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. There's no greater knowledge in the world. The fear of the Lord is indispensable and foundational truth that runs throughout the Bible. It is indispensable. <clears throat> From its short form, fear God, to its longer form, the fear of the Lord God. It appears in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. You find it repeatedly throughout Scripture. Abraham feared God. Joseph feared God. The Israelite midwives feared God, which caused them to worship and obey Him. The, every one of these put their lives on the line trusting God. If you truly fear God, you will do His works. So we need to understand something about that fear. What, what does it mean? I will say that God commanded Israel to fear him throughout their history and their failure to do so brought God's severe covenant curses, desolation, and captivity to them. So what is it? What is the fear of the Lord? This is something God's people wrestle with all the time. If God is a God of love, in fact, if he is indeed love itself, What's to fear? Right? Love, John even tells us, love casts out fear. So what are we talking about? <clears throat> what is the fear of the Lord? First of all, the word fear in the Bible 
either arises from terror or love. I choose both ways. Takes careful study of the word. <clears throat> the unbeliever, the rebel at heart, the pagan, and the atheist should be terrorized by the thought of God banishing them forever to the hell, to, to the flames of hell. Uh, that would be a good thing for them to be afraid of. Something horrific, something absolutely fear and dread causing. We often call that a slavish fear or a servile fear. But that's not the kind of fear uh, that arises from love. <clears throat> the fear of God in a believer arises from love because God has loved him first. He has come to understand the love of God and that love has changed him. It has changed him in his heart. It's changed him in his desires. It's changed him in his goals. It's changed him in everything that he pursues. The love of God when it fills the heart changes things for people, sinful people. This fear is the loving and reverent awe of God, fearing to displease Him and yearning to glorify Him. Amen. And that makes sense. There's so many definitions of this. Uh, I, I have wrestled with exactly uh, what would be the, the best and most encouraging uh, definition, because we have some really long ones. Most of us are not going to remember the one I just gave you, but it is a loving and reverential, a reverent awe of God, fearing to displease Him. Why? Because He loves you and because you love Him back and yearning to glorify Him. It's not a fear that he's going to wad me up and throw me into hell. It is a fear of displeasing someone who loved me so that he gave his son to save my darkened soul. Charles Bridges explains it this way, quote, The fear of the Lord is that affectionate reverence. Those are beautiful words affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. His wrath is so bitter and his love so sweet that hence springs an earnest desire to please him. And because of the danger of coming short from his own weaknesses and temptations, a holy fear, a an anxious care and watchfulness that he might not sin against him. Do you understand that all of that is arising from redemptive love? It isn't the raised hand ready to destroy me. It is the father taking us to the woodshed 
because we haven't learned the lesson yet. And he loves us. He wants us to get the lesson. When you read John G. Payton's extraordinary autobiography, he grew up there in Scotland with, he had a, a gracious, loving father. And he was a praying man who every day uh, would stop his work and go to a place in the woods and pray on his knees, fellowshipping with God. And sometimes he was in the house. He had a room that he would go in when he prayed. The children loved him so and knew his, his habit so that when he went in his room to pray, no one had to tell them to tiptoe by that room. That was love. They feared interrupting his talk with God because they loved their dad. And we don't see love like that very often. Maybe dads need to pray more. Maybe there needs to be something about them to fear not because they wield a rod, but because they love us so and have given themselves so much for us and are so given to the things of God, we don't want to displease them. That's exactly the way it was with the children of that house. There was a love that was difficult to pierce. So, Bridges goes on to say, if this is a holy fear, it's an anxious care and watchfulness that he might not sin, that we might not sin against him. This enters every exercise of the mind. Ah, now that's where we start getting into the, into the heart and soul of what it means to be a Christian. Every exercise of the mind has something to do with our relationship to our Heavenly Father. And that's why we have to know our God. We have to know what he's like. If all we do is fear him because he might get me, we will never serve him from the right heart. But if he has so loved me that before the foundation of the world, he purposed to give his only begotten son to spill his blood in Calvary, to turn him over into the hands of devil-driven people that I might have everlasting life. I don't want to grieve that God. I fear grieving that God because of his mighty love for us, for me. He says, this should influence every object of life. That means it makes us careful. It makes us Prudent. Prudent is wis prudence is wisdom combined with caution. There are a lot of us that wholeheartedly want to throw ourselves into the love of God uh, without caution. It's a dangerous world. We can rush into something just because we felt like we ought to do it and realize, uh-oh, bad decision. Of course, don't forget, learn from it. But this is what I want us to see the fear of God is not something horrible. It is something from love that arises in love and goes back to love. We love him and we want to walk in his word and we know that he will chasten us. 
We know that he can take us to the woodshed. We certainly don't look forward to that. But he's not ever going to let us go. So what is crucial for us in this verse and throughout Proverbs is that the fear of God is directly connected to the issues of knowledge and wisdom. You must know who God is. I've used this example numerous times and I don't mind going back to it. How could David, after he committed adultery and after he had the adulteress's husband put to death at his command, how could he pray, have mercy upon me, O God? How could he do that unless he knew that God was merciful and he learned it from the scriptures and he learned it in the experience of his life? Didn't make his sin okay and the Lord brought chastening into his family. But God loved him and he loved God back. Be merciful unto me, O God, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. He didn't just make that up. He knew it from Scripture. Now, do we know God so that we are forced to pray and say, I'm coming to you because I know I can. I'm coming to you because I know that you have opened the door to my prayers through Jesus Christ, your Son, I believe thy son. I have trusted him. I have seen my sins finished on Calvary. I have believed him alone to be my righteousness. I have believed him alone to be that which satisfies you for my sin. When my sin stands before me and mocks me and the law judges me, I look to Christ and see my sins finished. Now, it's crucial then for us to understand that throughout the Proverbs, this idea of fear of God, is it, it flows from chapter to chapter. You can see it. Even when it's not being mentioned, it's clear that it's in the mind of God's people. Son, don't do this. If you do this, here's what follows. Son, don't do that. This, if you'll listen to me, if you'll listen to the commandments I'm giving you, this will spare you from wicked men. This will spare you from wicked women. This will tell you and help you to walk in a way that doesn't endanger your life. And all the way through, proverb after proverb, son, spend your money this way. Save your money. Go to the ant, go look at nature and figure out how they do that. Look how hard they work. Watch how they're constantly at it. If you do the same thing, you will also have a certain wealth in this world. Look at nature, look at God, look at his words and learn how to navigate this life. Chapter 1, verse 7 of Proverbs declares that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What? It's the beginning of knowledge. Well, wait, lost people know a lot of stuff, don't they? Hey, how about those atheists out there with the real high, high IQ? 
They just know almost everything, especially if they have a quantum computer. Right? Wrong. They know nothing compared to God. And what they do know is false in the sense that they don't know how to deal with it in a way that would ever bring glory to God. They don't have true knowledge because they don't begin with God. They begin with man. And so everything is from our perspective. If it's to be, it's up to me. That is a false worldview. And yet that's what predominates in this culture. Oh, it's all about men. We're going to be gods. In fact, some of us already have arrived. We're going to be gods, the transhumanists. They're saying this. I'm not accusing anybody falsely. Go to the internet and you will see men saying, we are going to be gods. You don't have to come along with us, but if you try to get in our way, you'll be in trouble. It's a dangerous world out there because there are dangerous ideas out there. How do you navigate them? God's truth. How do you get God's truth? In the word of God, saturate, soak your heart. Immerse yourself in God's truth and look at the world through God's worldview. Let's press a little further on this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In chapter 9, uh, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You cannot and you will not navigate this life according to truth without God. You're not going to do it. You will not be wise. You might seem wiser than the people next door. You might know a few more things. You might know how to do a whole lot of things. But if you're just doing them for you, if you're just doing them for people to praise you, if you're just doing them for any other reason than glorifying God and doing good, you're not wise. Because at the heart of why you're doing it is ultimately for yourself. Self, none of us escapes self-worship except those who meet the true and living God. And then we start getting an idea of where we are in the world. And when you start knowing who you are and what you are according to God's truth, you are on the path to wisdom. A little more of that. Uh, I thought this was a, a wonderful quote, and I want to make sure that we get it. Trimper Longman applies this concept beautifully. He says, quote, Wisdom is not simply a matter of learning certain principles of life and applying them mechanistically. I could stop and do a whole sermon on that. Wisdom is not just memorizing some scripture and using them like a formula to make things go the way you want them to. There are people that lose, use the Bible that way. That's a false way to do it. You know why? It's more like witchcraft. What? Well, what is witchcraft? Witchcraft is manipulating the forces of this world to the end you want. You hear that? It's learning how to manipulate 
the powers, the forces. Oh, there are those that say, oh, we, we manipulate them for good. We're good witches. No such thing. God puts the death penalty on all witchcraft. Then there's those who use it for wicked and for evil. It's all evil because it is making ourselves the gods who make things come to pass. I decree this. I'm saying this. And it will happen because I'm godlike. I will manipulate this and bring it about. Oh, you want a boyfriend? You want a girlfriend? You want that better job? You want a car? You want this? You want that? Manipulate the powers, the forces. Speak it into existence. Do all of the spells that you want to do. Get the forces into your hands and make it happen. That's witchcraft. God puts a death penalty on it. Why? It's little godhood. We get that? It's vital. There are Christians that use almost that same language. I decree it must be. No. <clears throat> and there are Christians that seem to do this. And I won't name any names tonight. I'm not afraid to name names. But it's been a while since I've checked some of them. I want to make sure maybe they've repented. <laughs> Let me say, there are those that are out there that take the Bible and go, okay, here's this verse. Now, you take this verse and you believe it real hard. And then you really try to, you know, just put it into your life and just work as hard at it as you possibly can. For what? Well, hopefully they would at least say for the glory of God. But many of them don't. It's just do this and you'll be holy. Do that and you'll be holy. Do this and you'll be holy. It's like a formula. You hear me say it. There truly aren't any formulas. In the sense that if I take one, two, three, four, I can make it all happen. And I'm talking about in the Christian life. Here, there's one. There's one thing to do. Submit to God by faith. Amen. Believe his word. Trust his word as the truth. And learn to navigate according to it. It might bring you a, a life of the greatest joy and happiness. It might bring you a life of persecution. But you'll be wise you understand that? Well, anyway, let's get back to Trump Longmont for a moment. <clears throat> Wisdom is not simply a matter of learning certain principles of life and applying them mechanistically. Wisdom begins with a relationship with God. That this relationship is described as characterized by fear means that the sages, the wise men among God's people, that's what a sage is, understand their place in the universe right there. Wow, you hear that? What's your place in this universe? Need to answer that question. What is your place in this universe? Do you, do you understand what he was saying? It isn't just taking God's word, mechanistically trying to make things happen. It's first and foremost beginning with the relationship with God. And then you learn how to walk according to what God says.
It all begins in the grace of God. It all begins in the mercy of God. It all begins in the love of God. And if you have a relationship with him, if you truly understand that he's God and you're not, if you get that much, you're on your way to wisdom. This is what Longman is getting at. He's saying, if you understand your place in the universe, what is it? I mean, if somebody pointed the finger, as I've been doing, and said to you, stand up and tell me your place in the universe, what would you say? It should start with, I'm a child of God by his grace. If you know that much, you understand a Christian worldview. We are utterly dependent upon him in absolutely every way and everything in our lives, thought, word, and deed, attitudes. It's all in submission to him. It's all in subjection to him. He's God and I'm not. I remember when God was dealing with me and I thought I had been a Christian for many years, but my life had been a very sinful one. I thought I was just a carnal Christian and then God began dealing with me. And when he did, I was running into parts of scripture that were giving me fits. I couldn't really understand them. Romans 9 was tearing me up because the more I read it, the more I thought, um, I'm getting smaller and God's getting bigger. And I, I asked a man who's a theologian, I asked him, I'm really concerned about this issue of sovereignty of God and election and all of that stuff. I said, uh, how can you help me? He said, when was the last time you read Romans 9? I said, well, it's been a little while, but you know, I have read it before. He says, go back. He said, read it over and over again. And he said, whatever you do, don't get a commentary. He said, just keep reading that, that chapter over and over again. And then we'll talk some more. I said, okay. He also told me to read John 10 and John 6, and Ephesians chapter 1. And I read them all. But as I was going through Romans, I remember I had turned my, my garage into a studio. And then after the Lord saved me, I turned it into a big office. And I was sitting at my desk and I was reading Romans 9. In reading Romans 9. And at one particular point, we got to that extraordinary passage. And I will read it to you. This was so powerful. I was wanting to understand. I was submitting myself to God. I was submitting myself to the word. And I was thinking, it can't mean what I'm reading. I must be misunderstanding it. And it says, Oh, he says, They which are the children of the flesh, that's the Jews. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. The promise that was made to Abraham. For this is the word of promise 
At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born. Oh, this is when it started getting rough. Neither having done any good or evil that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, well, the elder shall serve the younger. And as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. I'd never been taught anything about God hating anything. He was just the God of love. And here it is, God saying he hated something and it was a somebody. I was like, wait, what? What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? The world with one voice would say, Yes, but the Holy Spirit says, God forbid, God forbid, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose, have I raised thee up that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore, this is where it finally came to a head. Therefore, hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will he hardeneth. I knew that I did not know that God. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why did he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? And at that point, my fist went up into the air because I hated what I was reading. Because I didn't know that God. And I didn't want to know that God. And then, all of a sudden, the strangest peace came into my soul. I knew that he was God. And I was not. That's the worldview. That's understanding your place in the world. That's simple. You are God and I am not. And you can do what you will. And that's what, the, that's what we want to do, but we can't. And I realized, I, I don't, I, Lord, I don't know you. I want to know you. Who can imagine? I mean, what I had done was I, I had run the white flag up and I I surrender. I su you're God. I am not. So the wise men in Israel knew their place in the world. At that moment in my house, because of the word of God, I knew my place in the world to you. 
That's the beginning of wisdom. Do, do we understand? And this is what the father in our passage is teaching his son. You'll understand the fear of the Lord. You'll get the knowledge of the most high God. When you submit yourself to the things your father is telling you, walk in the truth that your father is telling you. And you'll come to know the fear of the Lord. It rises out of love. You will have a place in this world. You will understand God is the father. God is God. You are a child of God and utterly dependent on him. When you're utterly dependent on him, it is the freest place in life. I say it again. When you understand that he is God and you are not, and you realize you must cast yourself entirely upon him, it's the freest freedom there is. As long as you're holding on to you, as long as you're holding on to something that it's like, no, no, I got to have this. You most likely have it, but you won't have God. Are you with me? This father is teaching his children remarkable things. We'll stop there. But I, I will close by saying this. Wisdom begins with a relationship with God. And you have to know that he's God and you're not. And that's the beginning of the path of wisdom. That's what it means when it says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. My place and yours should be complete to God, arising from a wholehearted love to God. He loved us first and gave his son that we might have life. And when we see it, we can have a wholehearted love to him. And that's where the right kind of fear rises up. I don't want to grieve that God that so loved me. He sustains me every day, keeps breath in my life, keeps my heart pumping. It's him. But most of all, he's given me his son. And I know that in my failures, I know that in my sins, he has paid the penalty through the blood of his son. And when I fail and I sin, and I flee to my Lord and say, Oh, Christ Jesus, you've washed away my sins. I come to rest in thee. That's wisdom. Are you wise? Or do you start trying to make yourself better for God? Do you think he'll accept you because you do a little better next week? Or every day, do you know your place in the world trusting Jesus Christ. Well, we'll finish this someday. But our purpose should be clear, is it not? Our home should be a place where the truths of God are taught to our children. And then we should teach them to the best of our abilities how to na negotiate and navigate them. When we teach them that it all begins with a relationship with God through his Holy Son, Jesus Christ, we're putting them on the path to wisdom. 
then when we begin to bow to him, to his sovereign purpose, to the glorious truths of his word, we're beginning to be wise people. And not only that, people that are totally free in God. May God help us to continue to see and think about these things. Father, we love thee and thank thee for your purpose in Christ. There are those days where we must come to see thou art God and we are not. My fist raised up high in the air against a God who talked like this. And then it came down and went limp on the table because I realized the lesson. Oh, Father, thou art God. May all of us cast ourselves entirely upon thee in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you'll stand with me, please. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's go in his name.